Thank you, Jack, for that ministry of music. Thank you for all who have returned this evening and those of you who are watching online. Appreciate your joining with us. I had announced that I was going to have uh, three messages on Barnabas. Three has turned into four. So this is my third of four messages as we prepare for the one that deals primarily with uh, Mark and Paul and Barnabas, but we need uh, some more background, I think, and so we have uh, four messages. Just a reminder, Barnabas, of course, is known as an encourager. That's what his name means. That name was given to him by the apostles. They found him to be a great encouragement to them and to the church. Barnabas was a great source of encouragement, of course, for Saul, who would become Paul. If you remember, when Saul came to Jerusalem and tried to uh, become a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ and be associated with God's people, they were afraid of him. And uh, we can understand why they would be frightened of Saul after he had persecuted so many and been responsible for the death of some of the saints. But, but uh, Barnabas took him under his wing and brought uh, Saul to the apostles, introduced him, uh, shared Saul's testimony, and he, that is, Saul was accepted among the people of God. As the word of God spread, it came to the people at Antioch, and there they found that uh, many were believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, and the word came to the church at Jerusalem, and Barnabas was sent to minister to these people, and uh, Barnabas, of course, was a great help to them, and he was glad and rejoiced in these individuals coming to faith. So um, our theme tonight is Barnabas is a great encourager, for he develops promotes, and continues to work with others. Barnabas is a great encourager, for he develops, promotes, and continues to work with others. Barnabas is truly a model of a discipler. Barnabas demonstrates his love and concern in developing others in their relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ. We see that he's incredibly effective, and in his effectiveness is very humble. And that is necessary, and we're going to see why that is so necessary tonight. So we begin with Roman number one. Barnabas and Saul are commissioned to go out as a team to serve the Lord. God revealed to the church at Antioch, that Barnabas and Saul were to be sent out to do God's work, Acts 13, 1 and 2. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who helped Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. 
So God made it known, God revealed very clearly that Barnabas and Saul had a specific work for, God had a specific work for Barnabas and Saul to do. And so they were to be set apart and sent out. The church at Antioch obeyed the word of the Lord and sent Barnabas and Saul out with the church's blessing, verse 3. Then after fasting and praying, they laid hands on them and sent them out. And Barnabas and Saul did indeed do the work of God, verse 4. So so being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And they had John to assist them. As an aside, they had John Mark to help them in the work. For it tells us at the end of verse 5, and they had John to assist them. Now the first thing I want to point out is that this passage deals with more than just Barnabas and Saul. Uh, In fact, later it's going to talk about its companions. They had an entourage with them. And this entourage was, was viewing them as viewed as seeing them as assistant, assistants. They were helping Paul and Saul and Barnabas in some way. How they were assisting, we don't know specifically. They're just called assistants, helpers. But they were also being trained, they're being developed for this again was Barnabas's ministry. Uh, He was always accompanied with others in order to develop them. So we see that Barnabas works with a group of people as he's been teaching and as he's been instructing at the various places he goes. But beyond the large group, he always has individuals that are coming alongside that he is developing and uh, promoting. So we have this almost as an aside. They had John to assist them. That's important for, there are some things we have to keep in mind. First, John is also known as Mark, Acts 12, verse 12. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark. So when we talk about John, we're talking about Mark, uh, that will later uh, be referred to at much length. Eventually, an issue will arise, which is probably why John's name is introduced here. In Acts 13, 13, it says, Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphros and came to Perga and Pamphylia, and John left them and returned to Jerusalem. And this is going to turn out to be a big deal, that he departs from the group and goes back to Jerusalem. And this is going to be divisive in the relationship that exists between Barnabas and what is going to become known as Paul, for what are they to do with Mark? So number three, John's leaving the group will be an issue that is addressed later in Acts. For in Acts chapter 15, they decide to uh, go back and revisit some of the churches that were planted, they being Barnabas and Paul. And uh, in verse 37 of Acts chapter 15, it says, Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and not gone with them to the work. And there rose a sharp disagreement 
So they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. Now we're going to look at that in much greater detail the next time we uh, gather for uh, a Sunday night message. Uh, that's why I want to give the background tonight. Uh, that's significant. But we need to understand some things as we anticipate that particular portion of the Word of God. Number two. Next comes a turning point in the life of Barnabas and Saul. In fact, there are a number of turning points. First, up until this point, the scriptures have been referring to Barnabas and Saul. That is true consistently. It's always Barnabas and Saul, Acts 13, 6 and 7. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphras, they came into a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, and summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. So it's always Barnabas and Saul. The first turning point is that Saul is now going to be referred to as Paul, Acts 13, 9. So, but Saul, who is also called Paul, this is the first time in the scripture that Saul is referred to as Paul. It says he's filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him. Number one, Saul, of course, is a Jewish name with a great heritage. It means desire. Saul was of the tribe of Benjamin and thus a descendant of the most famous Saul, who also was the tribe of Benjamin, who was king over Israel. So this name was a very significant name in Judaism, and it would have been a very important family name. So Saul is now called Paul. Number two, Paul is a Roman name, and it means little, a name that was quite suitable to be ministering to the Gentiles. But Saul, who is also called Paul, filled with Holy Spirit, so as he is ministering, and as their ministry is going to take a shift, especially Paul's ministry is going to take a shift, in which up until this time they're primarily speaking to the Jews in the synagogue, there's going to be a shift in which Paul primarily ministers uh, to the Gentiles. And as that shift occurs, he identifies with them by taking on a Roman name. Uh, he is called Paul, instead of calling uh, himself Saul. And we get an inkling into the reason why in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 20 and following. Here's Paul's testimony. It says in 1 Corinthians 9, 20, to the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. So Paul is the name that Saul now takes on in order to minister to these 
to these Gentiles as he wants to identify with them, doesn't want to alienate them, doesn't want to bring up the distinction that exists between Jew and Gentile. Uh, it's a very purposeful decision in order to identify with the Gentiles. Now, throughout the rest of the New Testament, Saul is referred to as Paul, except when Paul refers back to his conversion experience. Uh, when he's arrested and he gives his testimony, uh, when he stands before the officials and talks about his experience on the road to Damascus, he refers to him, himself as Saul, because that's how he was known at that time. But other than that occasion in which he is reflecting back on his pre-conversion experience, every other place in the New Testament, from now on, it's Paul. But not only is there a change in Paul's name, there's a change in the leadership structure. Now it is no longer Barnabas and Saul, but it will be primarily Paul and Barnabas. There is another occasion in which it's Barnabas and Saul, but uh, uh, Paul, but predominantly, other than one, perhaps two occasions at most, it's always Paul and Barnabas. Up until this point, it's Saul and Barnabas. There's no question that, Saul, that Barnabas is in charge, but now Paul takes charge. Verse uh, 13, now Paul and Barnabas and his companions, excuse me, now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos. Uh, you can see it's now Paul and his companions, and by the way, Barnabas is with him. Verse 44, the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contract what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. Verse 46, and Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, so they're still together, but Paul is the leader. Verse 49, and the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region, but the, whole, but the Jews incited the devout women of high standing, and the leading men of the city stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas. I'm just showing you that it's Paul and Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas. There's this change in leadership in which Previous to that, Barnabas is in charge. So we can see how Barnabas is promoting Paul and how he is very comfortable with the fact that Paul is increasing and Barnabas is decreasing. It's the same kind of spirit that existed between John the Baptist and Jesus. And if you remember the Disciples of John the Baptist were offended at the way in which the disciples were no longer following John the Baptist, but following Jesus. And they saw that as a front to John the Baptist. And John the Baptist said, he must increase and I must decrease. Well, it's that spirit of which Barnabas recognized that Paul must increase and he must decrease. That's a model encourager. D, there's also a change in the teaching ministry of Paul and Barnabas. Initially, Barnabas had been the primary teacher 
with Saul as his helper. Going back to Acts chapter 11, when the word of God first came to Antioch, Acts chapter 11, verse 22, the report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. And they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast promise. Barnabas was quite capable as a teacher and as a leader. Verse 24, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. But because so many people came to faith, he, that is Barnabas, needed help. Verse 25. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. Now at this point, and we're looking at retroactively, uh, Saul is beneficial in Jerusalem, but he has been experiencing hardship and difficulty, and they sent him home to Tarsus. Well, Barnabas goes to Tarsus looking for Saul. Verse 26, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. So Barnabas sent out by the church at Jerusalem to the people at Antioch to disciple them, goes and does just that. The church continues to increase, realizes that he needs help, goes to Tarsus to get Saul and brings him back. And at this point, that's the relationship. It's Barnabas with Saul as his helper, Barnabas doing the primary teaching. Later, Barnabas and Saul become equals in the teaching ministry. Acts 14.1. Now at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. And so they were team teachers, uh, co-equals, if you will. Eventually, Paul becomes the primary teacher of the Word of God, and Barnabas becomes secondary. So the roles switch. It moves from Barnabas with Saul as a helper to Barnabas and Paul to now Paul and Barnabas with Paul the primary teacher and Barnabas as the secondary teacher. If you look at Acts chapter 14, it says that he listened to Paul speaking, and Paul looking intently at him, seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, stand upright on your feet, and he sprang up and began working, well, excuse me, walking. And when the crowds saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Lycosian, the gods have come down to us in likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. The he is referring to Paul, uh, to Paul. So the one they called Zeus, the other they called Hermes because Paul, Paul was the primary teacher. Nevertheless, Barnabas is still viewed with great honor and distinction. But when the apostles, Barnabas 
And Paul heard of it. Now here in Acts chapter 14, verse 14, uh, Barnabas is referred to as an apostle. That is very unique. We always refer to the apostle Paul. Uh, but here, Barnabas is referred to as an apostle. It shows the regard they had for him. An apostle literally means sent one. Sent one. And so the word apostle is used in both a technical and non-technical sense in the word of God. There are many words like that in the New Testament. The word elder is used in a technical sense for a position in a church. It's also used in a generic sense in terms of a person of older age and one who is respected and looked up to. So an elder can be an elderly person or an elder can be a person that carries a duty or responsibility. The same is true of a deacon. The word deacon simply means servant. So there are those that are referred to as a servant. Those people have a servant attitude and and work and do the work of the Lord, but a deacon is also an office in the Word of God. And so there are deacons who hold a particular office or responsibility. As I say, you, you find that with many, many New Testament words. And so while the Apostle Paul is one of the 12 apostles, of which Barnabas is not, nevertheless, Barnabas is a sent one. And we saw that earlier when he was sent out by the Holy Spirit uh, along with uh, Saul to do the work. My point is, Barnabas was no slouch. Uh, Barnabas was not disrespected, but because of the kind of encourager he was, he was willing to become second fiddle. He was willing to decrease in order that Saul, Paul, could increase, could use his gifts, could develop those gifts, and shine in those gifts. And you see, that's what you want in an encourager, a person who is not jealous of other people's success, in fact, work towards it, that want to see other people succeed, to want to see other people take their place, to want to see them promoted in the kingdom for the kingdom's sake. Barnabas is a wonderful encourager in that sense. E, Paul is the new leader and primary spokesman of the group, will also encounter the greatest opposition, Acts 14, 19, and 20. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city, and on the next day he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. I'm pointing out here that Paul is stoned, Barnabas is not. And the reason Paul is stoned and Barnabas is not is because right now he's the face of the ministry. Right now, Paul is the one who's doing the primary speaking. So he gets the primary grief. All right, that, That's pretty normal. Whoever's the leader is going to get the praise, and they're also going to get the grief. Well, here it is. And Paul is stoned. Barnabas is not, but Barnabas isn't afraid. It's not because he's holding back. It's simply because 
he's no longer viewed in the same way that, Bar that Paul is viewed. But together, the next day, they set sail. Number three, Paul and Barnabas continue to minister together as a team quite effectively. They are both preaching, Acts 14, 21, when they had preached the gospel. Notice not just Paul. Paul and Barnabas are preaching. Again, it was primary Barnabas, secondary Paul. Now it's primarily Paul, secondary Barnabas, but they're both still preaching. They're both working together. They are both exercising authority over the church. And when they had appointed elders. So even though the leadership has switched from primarily Paul to Barnabas, yet Barnabas isn't placed on a shelf either. Uh, he's referred to, he's involved in the decision-making process, so Paul and Barnabas appoint elders. And see, they are both giving a report to the church at Antioch. Acts 14, 24, and when they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia, and when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Atlanta, and from there they, notice all the pronouns, they, they, they. Acts 14, 26, from there they sailed to Antioch where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And the they is Paul and Barnabas. Verse 27, and when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them. Again, the plural pronouns. And they remained no little time with the disciples. Acts 15, 1, but some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be served. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, Samaria describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles. And they brought great joy to all the brothers. And when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders. And they declared all that God had done with them. That's where we're going to leave it tonight in terms of the relationship of Paul and Barnabas. We'll see what happens when they have to deal with Mark. Conclusion. A good encourager ministers both to groups and to individuals. It's not an either-or situation. We live in a, a time in which discipleship is viewed as always one-on-one. -on -one. Uh, that's not right. Uh, this is a discipleship session. This is a time when we're gathering to hear about the Lord and to be instructed and taught and helped and developed. It is done both corporately and it's done individually. It's not an either-or situation. So we should always be working with groups, but there also ought to be a few people that we are taking aside and trying to develop more fully. People that God has called 
to do the work of God. And so we need to develop them. We need to give them opportunities. We need to give them chances. <laughs> we need to give them instruction. So B, a great encourager continues to develop, promote, and work with others. So in this relationship, Barnabas is working to develop Paul's skills. And it should be noted that Paul does mature in his faith. Paul does develop in his skills. And Paul does become a better teacher as a result of working with Barnabas. Barnabas plays an important role. It also is clear that the potential is far greater in Paul than it was in Barnabas. Even though Barnabas was a fine teacher, he's going to be surpassed by Paul. And that's what you always hope. That's what you should always hope, that the person who replaces is going to do a better job than we who are presently doing it. Which brings us to C. A great encourager embraces change. A great encourager embraces change. If we're going to promote and develop others, it necessitates changes in ministry. It can't happen without it. If Paul was going to be used the way that God intended him to be used, it necessitated that Paul would become the leader and that Barnabas would step down from that particular relationship. It was necessary that Paul became the primary teacher and that Saul became the secondary teacher. Change is not only inevitable, change is necessary. It accomplishes the work of God. And if we resist change, we resist the Spirit of God at work. We resist what God is doing in the next generation. We resist what is the activity of God and what God has always intended in discipleship. And that is that you are training others to replace yourself. So change is embraced. It is welcomed. It is celebrated as a part of the work of God. So when they come back and they're giving a report, they're talking about what has happened. And the very things they're talking about are the things that we talked about tonight. They're explaining what has occurred and what has happened in their relationship and how this work has gone forward and prospered as a result. Which brings us to D, a great encourager recognizes and rejoices in what God is doing. Uh, Barnabas is not upset uh, he is not chagrined. He is not saddened. He's not saying, woe is me. He's not feeling self-pity. He's not feeling as though he is unimportant or ta being taken for granted or whatever negative spin you want to put upon it. He is rejoicing. He's giving thanks. It's happening time and time again in this passage where they're just rejoicing in what God is doing. Uh, a good encourager is thankful when others are being promoted, when others are being developed. They are not threatened, but they are heartened. They are thankful to what God is doing. 
Then E, a great encourager, perseveres through opposition. Uh, we saw how Paul was stoned. Uh, we uh, could look at other portions tonight of the scriptures of how even Barnabas himself had to persevere and through many situations. But uh, that's what an encourager does. That's what an encourager does. Tonight, the emphasis is that an encourager continues to develop, to promote, and to continue to work with others. Let's pray. Almighty God, help us to be good encouragers, uh, people who desire to promote, to develop, to work with others. May we embrace what you are doing by your spirit, the people with whom you are working, those that you are calling into your work. Uh, Lord, may we rejoice in what you are doing, and may we desire to assist and to be a help and a benefit both to individuals and to the church at large. For Paul, of course, is going to be a great blessing uh, to the people of God, to the entire church. So we thank you, Lord, for the life of Barnabas and for the life of Saul and your working in them and through them. For to you belongs the ultimate honor and glory and praise. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, and we are dismissed.